0: I believe we need to be reminded continually what life is all about. It's why we gather. But I really wanted to explicitly do that, to talk about the meaning of this life, to understand where we are, why we are here, and what this life is all about. It was great follow-up then last week to have Boaz speak to us uh, about serving with our gifts, because life is all about our mission. That's what... I really want to underscore, and again this week, I, I, I want us to dwell just on that thought. I was going to move on because I am starting a bit of a series. I don't know how long it's going to go for. I alternate weeks. I, we, we Our church uh, meets across two campuses, uh, Moolap and here, and uh, I alternate between the two campuses uh, each week. And, and over the next few months, perhaps, uh, if it takes that long, I'm going to take as long, long, long as it needs, is to try to help us to really see our lives and the world the way that God wants us to see them. Often as Christians, and I said this a couple of weeks ago, we believe the right things, the right individual things, and we know individual parts of the Bible, but we, we tend, however, to believe those things within the framework of uh, the worldview of our culture. And I think what we need to try to recover is a truly Christian worldview because it actually can be a transformative thing. I personally have found that to be a transformative thing. Paul says in Romans 12 too, be transformed by the renewing of your minds. The way that we see ourselves, the way that we see God, the way that we see the world around us is is so important uh, for how we actually live. I'm going to tell you some stories tonight that I hope will really underscore this. I used the illustration a couple of weeks ago that in in a sense, we are like troops on a mission that got dropped out of a helicopter in hostile ground where they had to fulfil a very specific mission. You know, they're gonna set up camp, they're gonna do this, they're gonna go here, gonna set up camp and then they're told, we're gonna drop you here, you're gonna fulfil this mission and then we're gonna meet on this other hill and we're gonna pick you up there. You know, helicopter dropped on one hill, helicopter picked up on another hill and bang, it's mission in between. Because this life is a bit like that. It's short, it goes quickly and we are on mission. And I want us to remember that because it's really important we don't lose our focus because we have this time, we have a pickup to get to and we always need to remember in our ordinary circumstances of our individual lives, what we're actually doing there so that we don't miss the opportunities that we have. We, we, Look, we're broken people living in a broken world, but God is going to use each one of us. Boaz talked about this last week, didn't he? That we are each equipped to do our little part in God's purpose. So I'm gonna talk a little bit more tonight about purpose. One of my favourite books is a book by the famous Jewish psychiatrist and, and really psychiatrist come philosopher Victor Frankel. He's a Jewish, um, a Jewish uh, psychiatrist that lived in the middle of the 20th century, middle block of the 20th century. And he, uh, Victor Frankel, wrote a book called Man's Search for Meaning, and as a young Jewish uh, psychiatrist living in Germany, he was rounded up by the Nazis during the Second World War and he was sent to the concentration camps. He spent most of his time in Auschwitz and in Man's Search for Meaning, this book, he narrates his experiences mostly focusing on psychological observations of others and even himself in the midst of unimaginable suffering. He comments on things like the sheer randomness of the cruelty inflicted on people in addition to the suffering of laboring in the snow every day whilst effectively starving to death. During this ordeal, he tells about how people would regularly give up. One day they would just not get up from the hard, crowded wooden boards that they slept on and they would just lie there dormant. And suicide was a regular occurrence as one person after another caved in under the suffering that they were subjected to. A big part of the suffering was the psychological suffering that came from a sense of the sheer senselessness of the situation, compounded by completely random acts of unbelievable cruelty. This is what sends so many uh, to madness during this. And amidst all of this, Viktor Frankl made some profound observations that would shape his approach. Uh, to psychology after the war. First, there's this sort of mechanistic understanding of human psychology that sees us as entirely a product of our environment, cause and effect. But Frankl observes, no, actually, there is this sense of human freedom in that we we can actually choose who we become and how we respond in those situations. He says this, I'm gonna give you a couple of quotes uh, from this book. He says, we who lived, concentration camps can remember the men who walked through the huts comforting others, giving away their last piece of bread. They may have been few in number, but they offer sufficient proof that everything can can be taken away from a man, but one thing, the last of the human freedoms, to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's own way. Frankel asked the question, what was it that enabled these people to keep a kind of inner hold on themselves in these circumstances and to not let themselves degenerate? Now a key degenerating influence was the fact that the prisoners had no idea how long this would actually last. It was indefinite, so they lacked any sense of a a kind of end goal to aim for. Everything to them, to a lot of these people, just became pointless. And this is actually what led a lot of people to give up. But the people who tended to survive, assuming they weren't killed by random selection, were those who kept a hold on themselves by finding their goals in the present Goals to keep their humanity, to care for their fellow prisoners, which Frankel himself uh, found the opportunity to do. As he was also a medical doctor. In fact, at one particular point, he was uh, given the opportunity to be transferred, transferred to another camp where life was going to be significantly easier. But Frankel chose to stay in Auschwitz because that's where his purpose was. And it actually turned out that he survived when many, even of those others who were moved, didn't. And Frankl points out that these very dire circumstances presented a lot of opportunities for him to act purposefully. He says it is in such exceptionally difficult external situations which give men the opportunity to grow spiritually beyond themselves. He discovered that There were all of these opportunities, as difficult as it was, to act with meaning and purpose. And it was those that found meaning in the midst of all of the senselessness of the situation who found almost superhuman strength to push through it. But this was only a minority. Frankel uh, observes, and again, a, a quote. He says, we could say, that most men in a concentration camp believed that the real opportunities of life had passed. Yet in reality, there was an opportunity and a challenge. One could make a victory of those experiences, turning life into an inner triumph. Or one could ignore the challenge and simply vegetate, as the majority of the prisoners did. And I fear that even in our culture, so many people vegetate, not because of hardship, but because of the, the sheer, well, luxury of our situation comparatively. Frankl goes on further saying, woe to him who saw no more sense in this life. No aim, no purpose, and therefore no point in carrying on. He was soon lost The typical reply with which such a man rejected all encouraging arguments was, I have nothing to expect from life anymore. What sort of answer can one give to that? What was really needed was a fundamental change in our attitude towards life. We had to learn ourselves and furthermore, we had to teach despairing men that it did not really matter what we expected from life, but rather what life expected from us. And that is really what I'm aiming for in talking about this, is this fundamental change in our attitude towards life. It's interesting that those who failed to find meaning in their circumstances in the camps and yet nevertheless survived by looking forward to liberation were inevitably disappointed when liberation came. The life that they imagined was up there just simply wasn't there. And their hopes were dashed. You see, your future is never ever brighter than the purpose you find In the present, if you don't find your purpose in the present, there's no light at the end of the tunnel, and you simply perpetuate an empty and disappointing life. Vegetating. Don't vegetate. We're here for a purpose. We have a mission to fulfill. And there is, there is a joy in this mission. There is a joy in discovering this and connecting with those moments. Our culture is obsessed with, you know, if, in a way, if, there, if, there, if you could pinpoint a kind of cultural purpose in our situation, it is the ubiquitous search for happiness. Everyone's searching for happiness. It's like that seems to be the purpose of every individual person, but here's the irony. Happiness is a byproduct of living with purpose. As, long as purpose. as long as happiness is your purpose, then it's always elusive. Frankel says, and I, I love this quote, he says, Happiness cannot be pursued, it must ensue. One must have a reason to be happy. Once the reason is found, however, one becomes happy automatically, as we see a human being is not one in pursuit of happiness, but rather in search of a reason to be happy, last but but not least, through actualizing the potential meaning inherent and dormant in every given situation. It's like his... Concern is that we've got this elusive goal searching for happiness up there, but we're constantly walking past moments of profound purpose. Not big things, but constant small things, moments of purpose that we walk because we've got this tunnel vision view as we search for our happiness. And yet, happiness is a byproduct of connecting with these moments of purpose, God moments. Moments, doors that God opens where we can step into the wonderful flow of God's purpose. And of course, I see this exemplified so beautifully, not only in the life of Christ, but so much so in the book of Acts. And the next story that I want to tell you is a story that I love from the book of Acts. It's in Acts chapter 16. It's a story about Paul and Silas in Philippi. And it says this. It says, "'Once we were going to the place of prayer, "'we were met by a female slave who had a spirit "'by which she predicted the future. "'She earned a great deal of money for her owners "'by fortune-telling. "'She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, "'These men are servants of the Most High "'who are telling you the way to be saved.'" She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that she that he turned around and he said to the spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. That moment the spirit left her. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and they dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and they said, these men are Jews and are throwing the city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. Now that was a complete lie, by the way. It was a complete trump. They were the ones that were stirring up the crowds. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely Flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet to the stocks. You know, it's interesting in this story, all of the way through, uh, particularly up to this particular story, it's showing how God guided them here and God guided them there and, you know, stopped them from going here. No, don't go there, but guide them. And, and God guides them to this point, right? It's like, is this a mistake? Oh, we, this must be a mistake. This can't be the way, can it? Just, could this be the way? Well, let's see. Verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening to them. You know what I probably would have been doing when I was in that prison cell? Whinging angrily and loudly about the injustices that I had just suffered. How could this happen to me? How could they do that? Those people there and these, that's, that's probably what I would have been doing. Like whinging to all of the other prisoners, stirring it up, come on. This is terrible. No, no. They were praying and no doubt they were bringing some complaints to God, go for that. And singing hymns. You see, because they knew whatever's going on here, God is gonna be at work. There's gonna be something here. This has gotta lead somewhere because it always does. You see, they had night vision. Remember a couple of weeks ago, I talked about night vision. God giving us night vision goggles. Spiritual night vision goggles. These guys had night vision goggles. They could, God gave them sight to see these moments of purpose. Even in the midst of all of this. So verse 25, again, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and he was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we're all here. The jailer called for the lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and he set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. You see, For God so loved that Philippian jailer that he sent his sons, Paul and Silas, into the midst of that horrific experience so that that man could be saved. Does God do that? God didn't cause all the bad things that happened to them. That's people doing That's the chaos and the brokenness of this world. But in the midst of all that, God sent them right into the middle of it. Not around it, but in the middle of it. Because there was someone that he was after in that. Does God do that? Yeah, he does. And it started with Jesus. Because God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, so that ever whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And Paul and Silas were following Jesus. And when you follow Jesus, you're on mission. And every day is about purpose. Every day you can wake up and say, Lord, what have you got for me today? Life may not be easy. Everything might not go well in terms of my circumstances. But Lord, if only there's purpose here, that's okay. Because I choose as a Christian to make my life the seed of the kingdom. So sow me where you will, God. That's the attitude that gave them night vision. I remember a number of years ago when my, when my kids were quite young. We'd been on holiday and uh, we caught an. Uh, we were to catch an afternoon flight back, and the the flight was running late, and the kids were tired, and they were driving us nuts. And um, you know, we finally got on the later flight. and We finally got home, and it was you know the the kids were tired and everything, and we caught the the, the shuttle bus out to the car parking area, and finally, you know, after after this just trip that felt like it was going to go forever, you know, waiting in the airport and keeping the kids happy, and, and finally got them into the car, and, and I t- t- sat down, turned the key, and there was nothing, and I thought, oh, no, please, no, this is terrible, and so I couldn't get this thing, it was just no response at all, called the RACV, RACV, yeah, I'd be there in, um, you know, half an hour to an hour so we're waiting there and the kids are complaining and it's just like it's just disaster situation. <laughs> I'm just thinking, you know, this this surely can't get any worse. Which it did. So the RACV guy turns up and he works at this thing for a while, you know, he's trying to get this thing going and it's getting later and later. And finally he says, Well, mate, she's stuffed. We're, we're going to have to call the uh, tow truck and uh, you'll have to, um, you'll have to go, uh, you know, go back with the tow truck uh, to Geelong. Uh, tow truck should be here in, uh, in an hour or so. So I so sent Kate and the kids back to the airport. They caught the last of the good old gull bus back to Geelong and, uh, and I was waiting there. In just sheer misery, like out on the on the edge of that curb, you know, waiting for this truck, you know, out in the cold, and it was raining and snowing. I mean, it wasn't really, but just trying to dramatize it a bit. But finally, the 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 tow truck, you know, turns up, and the the guy hops out, and I am I'm just I'm in the terrible mood at this point, and I he. Sticks the car on the back and I sit in the seat and I'm thinking, this is just terrible. I can't believe what's. I've got to sit in this. You know, I've got to sit here with this guy for... And I thought, oh my word. What if all of this was just so that I could spend an hour with this guy? Would Could it be... I mean, could that be? (laughs) So I decided to emerge out of my misery and got into this great conversation with this guy he was uh, he was uh, Indian Sikh, and uh, so I was really interested because I didn't know I don't know much about Sikhism. So uh, I was asking him about you know about his religion and you know that really discovered there were lots of kind of overlap. Always try and find things that you know uh, things in common. And it was great like great conversation. I talked about my faith, talked about you know Christianity. And do you know that was the first time that that guy had ever heard the Christian message. For God so loved that tow truck driver that he sent his son, Matt Jacoby, to suffer (laughs) so that he could hear the message about God's love. I got there in the end. I got there. With, I got with the plan, got my night vision goggles, and man, when I got out of that tow truck on the other end, I was invigorated. I was amazed. I thought, God, as long as there's purpose, that's okay. How often do we scoot for it through our lives with tunnel vision, missing moments of purpose? Because we don't like the way this is or the way that is. I mean, that's the world. That's the way that the world is. You're always going to find stuff you don't like. So if you want to complain, if you want to whinge, you'll find lots to whinge about. Or you could get with the plan and engage with those profound moments of purpose lying dormant in each and every situation. And when you find those and you engage with those moments of purpose, you will know you're alive with God. Because that is what life is all about. That is what this life is all about. You are on mission. You got dropped off on a hill. And our commanding officer said, listen, this is the mission. A little bit more love, a little bit more grace, a little bit more hope, a little bit more truth into each and every situation. That's your mission. Set up camp, engage with the mission Don't get drawn in to the ways of the world. Don't follow and chase the things that they chase and then you'll get your pick up in a week's time. Life is short and it's all about purpose. Make sure you don't miss it. Let's stand together. Father in heaven, tonight, again, we dedicate ourselves to your purpose. I want to pray for each person in this room, Lord God, that even this week, that we would see the things that we've not seen before. Lord, that you would give us that night vision to see those moments of purpose, those small things that you're calling us to do, a little bit more love, a little bit more hope, a little bit more truth, a little bit more grace into each and every situation. Father, we make ourselves available to you that you would use us, Lord God, to touch the lives of those that you love. Send us from here, Lord God, with open eyes, with open ears, that we might be a part of your wonderful purpose and that we would find joy every day in what you are doing. We thank you in Jesus' name.